Hey there, hello, this is Jeff Cialetti, and welcome to the Drinkable Globe podcast. This is episode 7, and I finally was able to get uh, my old friend John Hall on the podcast. Uh, you know him as the author of the American Craft Beer Cookbook, as well as Dishing Up New Jersey. He's got a new book coming out called Drink Beer, Think Beer that'll be out in September. We talked a little bit about that. And we really caught up, not just with each other, but with my old stomping ground, Jersey City, where he lives and where I used to live. Uh, We lived about 10 blocks from each other. So we talk about some of the things that are going on there. It's no longer living in the shadow of Hoboken. It's not even living in the shadow of New York City anymore. It's really got its own vibe. There's amazing stuff going on in the restaurant scene, the bar scene, Uh, not just beer, you know, whiskey bars and cocktail bars, wine bars, you name it. So we had this chat in Jersey City at his apartment. We get a couple of background cameos by his toddler daughter. And also Elmo, which was keeping her occupied. Uh, Sesame Street was keeping her occupied. So without further ado, here is the man, the myth, the legend, buster of balls, drinker of beer, John Hall. How many episodes in am I... Probably my sixth okay. or seventh. Wait, I got five. I got two and five. Six. So you're like my seventh, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to get you on the show. You should have been my first. Are we recording? Yeah, like, we're this, real, this of course. Is like, this is like the actual intro this to your show. This is the banter. This is the banter. Oh, okay. I love it. I love it. The yes. wit that we have together is yes, going to be great. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I, I'm lucky number seven. You are lucky number seven. All right. right. So, yeah. We should have done this over at lucky seven. No, that's fine. But see, I, I'm actually, it's better this way, right? Because I hope, I, I don't listen to podcasts, so like I'm, I'm sure they're great. <laughs> but uh, I would hope that you worked out the kinks for the first six. And yeah. now, now it's professional. Although we're we're not off to a promising. Yeah, start. no, that it's 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 um it's all been working up to this. <laughs> this is perfection. You are my white whale. It's all down from uh, from here. I've been pursuing you with a habic tenacity. Is a habic a term? It is now. <laughs> You've made it a term. Thanks for the water, dude. Well, I, just appeared here. Wow, look yeah, at this. Welcome to my house. Mm-hmm. Might hear some Sesame Street in the back, but that's okay. Nobody's listening to this, so it's not like I'm gonna get a cease and desist from the children's television workshop. Right. Uh, I'm babysitting for uh, for the for the kid this afternoon, and uh, Elmo is going to occupy her while we have a conversation about adult beverages. Who's gonna occupy me? I mean, Elmo's supposed to occupy me too. <laughs> that's why we put your back to the TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So anyway, I am here. With John Hall, who is, oh God, you just—I don't even know how to introduce you because you've got like—you're you're so seasoned. You're like a, a fine. I'm a cast iron thing pot. Of, yeah, of, I'm a cast iron pot. Spare ribs, or yeah, something. a fine thing of spare ribs. <laughs> Great, I'm gonna put that on my next bio. Um, a fine thing of spare ribs. That's, I don't know. That's me and my. We've th- been th- friends for years. That's you asked me to come on your podcast, and the best you can do is you're a fine thing of spare ribs. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I no, like I, spare ribs. Sure. Yeah. No. They're 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 great. Uh, no, I write about beer for a living, which is which is fun. Yeah. No. So you've you've um, you've been writing. You know, for a while you're freelance, and then. You uh, were the editor of All About Beer, and now you're over at uh, Craft Beer and Brewing. It's you've the senior written editor, yep. senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing. Uh, you've written several books, including the American Craft Beer Cookbook. Yep. 
dishing up New Jersey. Yes. Uh, Indiana breweries, yep. Massachusetts breweries. Going and, way back. And um, remind me what the name of the new one is. The was... forthcoming book is called Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint. It'll be out in September from Basic Books, which is part of Hachette. Ah. I'm told you're supposed to say it with some Hachette. sort of authority. But, uh, but yeah, it's all about how we think about uh, the beer that we're drinking from the way that it is served to us to the way that it is prepared to the way that it's uh, marketed. So it's not so much about how it tastes, but how or what is happening around it all the time. So, so pre-order it now. Pre-order it now. It's, it's up October? on all of the... Uh, September 4th. Se- September 4th. Yeah, it's up on, uh, on all of the various internet spaces and uh, go into your local bookstore and ask them to pre-order it for you. Sorry, that wasn't... Of all the books, that was the one title I didn't remember and I right. should have because that's the one you're really going to be promoting. So. Uh, no, it's all right. Apologies uh, on that. Sure. Um, so what's going on? What's new? <laughs> How's it going? No, um, no. So, so you know, the, the sort of the, the theme of this website is is drinking, travel, and yeah. Uh, we're in Jersey City. I usually get people to talk about where they live as well as places they like to go outside of where they live, and that's both uh, domestically and internationally. Um, and you know, you're in Jersey City, my former town. Yeah, I miss it every day. How are you taking care of it for me? You know, Jersey City's uh, kind of cool, actually. Um, when I first moved down here 16 years ago, it was a completely different place. Um, Hoboken, which is to the north, uh, ha- had long been the nightlife spot, and mm-hmm. so you'd have a lot of the, you know, the bars and the clubs, and that's where, you know, younger generations would go out drinking. If you wanted to to hang out uh, in Jersey City, your options were fairly limited and mostly grim uh, for, for the most part and that started to change in the last couple of years certainly downtown Jersey City has changed the heights uh, which uh, is up on the mountain or up on the hill I guess as it were uh, which has uh, some really nice views of, uh, of Manhattan depending on where you are uh, that neighborhood has grown so you're starting to see some more cool bars and everything come in there as well um, but what I really like is that uh, there's, there's a cool sense of community where it comes to um, uh, the drinks that are served alongside the food mm. as well. So uh, we do have barbecue restaurants in Greek and you know, Chinese of all, all, all stripes and um, uh, pretty much anything you're looking for you can you can find. Uh, but the cool thing is is that there are so many local beer options that are out there these days. And so it's not only just Departed Souls, which is the brewery that's here in town, uh, but throughout the state uh, you'll find uh, the, the breweries represented here in Jersey City quite well, which when I first moved in, it really was Bud Miller Coors territory. Maybe you could get some Yangling or yeah. Coronas, but there wasn't a lot. Uh, there wasn't a lot uh, exciting going on beer-wise. Uh, there's a distillery here now as well called oh, yeah. Corgi, which uh, Corgi. makes some some pretty decent botanical gins. They have a an Earl Grey tea one that's uh, that's popping up uh, in in cocktails and uh, behind bars these days. And they do a vodka as well, which is you know perfectly serviceable and perfectly nice. Uh, you know, for, serviceable, for new- serviceable is about all you the only way you can really describe a vodka. Well, I know, and that's the thing, like, for a neutral spirit, like, I'm always, I'm always sort of amazed when people are like, oh, the, you know, they're using, like, all these superlatives to, to talk about vodka. It's like, it's, that's not vodka's nature, you know, by general, you know, it, it's supposed to be just this neutral spirit, yeah, as it were. It's supposed to get you where you want to go. Um, flavor, right? Sure, but, but, you know, so anyway, so, um, you know, Jersey City's cool, and I'm, I, I it's, it's been fun being here. Uh, there's a lot of journalists. There's a lot of brewers. There's a lot of folks who come through into New York City, which is, you know, as the crow flies, uh, a mile and a half from here. Um, 
And and I've been encouraging folks more and more if we're going to meet up to, to come over to Jersey City to sort of check it out. And mm. uh, from the art scene, which is starting to grow uh, more and more to our bar scene and our dining scene. Um, and it's so easy to get to. In some cases, it's easier than getting to Brooklyn for, for a lot of folks. It's easier than getting a lot of, a lot, a lot of Manhattan, actually, sure. too. Absolutely. You can uh, actually get here transit. from parts of, like, you know, parts of Brooklyn, you know, if you're talking about, you know, areas near the Brooklyn Bridge or the Manhattan Bridge over there I think you can get here faster than you can get to get uptown yeah so and it's been fun having folks uh, folks come over so uh, uh, to all of the listeners I encourage you to come and if you're visiting New York to jump across the river the Hudson and to come and see what Jersey City has to offer we have some some great restaurants and it's a cool place to, to drink some beers that you might not get uh, on the other side of the Hudson a great little evolution that's gone on here. I mean, I remember uh, the first time you and I sat down for a beer uh, was late 2010 or early 2011. Skinner's Loft. Skinner's which Loft, which was the adapters. best, like, which yeah. was really the best place to go at that time because there really wasn't much else. You had LITM. But yeah, at the time, I remember when we were in Skinner's Loft, you know, at that time we talked about barcade which was i think at that point was maybe four months from opening yeah which is and that was like a big topic conversation and i think that really opened the floodgates when barcade came to jersey city and it's still here i can't believe it's been it's been open for more than seven years already yeah they just had their seventh anniversary uh not too long ago which was which was really cool and uh it's it's helped revitalize it's helped bring in a lot of folks from out of town barcade has this you know for folks who don't know uh a, a cool uh, ethos where it's all american craft um, uh, by the definition that they hold uh, to be true for craft and uh, uh, classic arcade video games. So you're not going to get a lot of the uh, the more modern stuff. You're not getting Golden Tea and all of these other I things. I don't you're even getting, know what uh, that is. Um, but yeah, but you're getting you know the Miss Pac-Mans and, and the fun games from, uh, from from youth of a certain age. Um, and, it, and it's cool. It's a, it's, it's a fun mix and it's brought people in from the suburbs. It's brought people in from other parts of the state uh, to to try and to hang out and they've, they've seen you know Jersey City has some cool stuff going on so so I think for, for those of us who are here um, and who have been here for a while there's a there's a cool sense of pride in that uh, especially if we're if we're into nightlife and we're into drinking out in bars and everything of sort of asking places to serve uh, better drinks and more diverse drinks and not just settle for the old status quo and so uh, it's been fun to see that change and uh, yeah I don't think Jersey City is unique in that it's you see cities like Detroit which are coming back and mm. you know there's other cities as well um, that might have fallen on hard times but that are seeing uh, urban renewal in a lot of ways and we're seeing that through breweries and through good bars and good restaurants and uh, you know some of these uh, these these urban pioneers uh, if you will uh, who see the potential in a place that has been on hard times and when that tide starts to change obviously more people start coming in and more people start you know checking it out and it, it becomes a, a, a better place to um, not only live but to, to eat and drink I've heard that term like for Detroit and all that it's rust belt chic is, is, that, the, is, that is what the aesthetic it? that they've got um, you know talking you know Detroit and Pittsburgh and um, you know uh, Cleveland, you know, yeah. generally it's like the, they're sort of embracing their their industrial past, but you know, repurposing it, and that whole aesthetic is called Rust Belt. Like I read it one time, and actually I think it was talking about Buffalo. Um, I read it in an article, and I was like, "What?" So I sent it to a friend who lives in Pittsburgh. I'm like, "Have you have you heard this term, Rust Belt chic?" <laughs> that's uh, well, now everybody's shuffling off to Buffalo. Yeah, what's up yeah. with that? Like, it's not exactly the the 
best weather in the country. <laughs> it's not, but Buffalo, you know, we were at a wedding there a couple years ago, and there's some really cool breweries, there's some really cool bars. I mean, wings aside, um, again, I think that there's just, there's folks who are, we're at this cool point in American food and drink, I think, where um, we've moved away a little bit from the chain restaurants or from, like, the bland. You know, Garrett yeah. Oliver of the Brooklyn Brewery likes to talk about um, uh, the the American yellow cheese slice, the pre-wrapped uh, yeah. uh, single individual slice uh, of sort of a the definition of what American food was for so long, and I think that through the places like the Food Network and PBS cooking shows and the rise of magazines uh, and books that focused on proper eating and returning to roots and making food more accessible to people as opposed to, you know, we lost our way with cooking and, and certainly with drinking for, for a while where um, everything was out of convenience and everything. Did was we ever of, have our way? Though? No, I, I think, I, I certainly think that we did. I think that, you know, parents and grandparents and certainly going yeah. back to, to great grandparents, um, they knew everything for what was on the table for dinner they knew where everything came from mm. uh, they could point to vegetables from the garden or the greengrocer or meat from the butcher or the farm uh, you know they could point to bread that was made at home or cheese that came from the cheesemonger like a few generations ago um, yeah. that, that happened and then thanks to World War II we kind of lost our way with uh, automation and uh, packaging and things that kept uh, food fresher longer and able to travel longer mm. longer distances and we got impatient and we stopped uh, our, our way of thinking about food as seasonality items, you know, like when you can get tomatoes in January here on the East Coast, you know, it, it kind of loses some of its specialness. And also, mm. the tomatoes that you get in January are more like wet cardboard than yeah. they are like actual real real tomatoes. But people stop thinking about it as yeah. fresh things, and they're just like, "Well, I want a tomato on my burger." Um, and I really think about 20, 30 years ago, we started to change our perspective of that. And CSAs started to come in and, mm. you know, urban gardens started coming in and people started thinking about farm to table and what was going into their food. And the same thing is true with drink as well. And so I think that when, no matter where you live these days, there are food artisans and there are chefs uh, and it doesn't have to be fancy or high end and beverage manufacturers that are trying to bring back some of that. And there's people who crave knowing where their food came from or knowing the people who make what it is that they're consuming. Um, and that's something that we just didn't have uh, on a large scale um, two decades ago. Yeah, it was like, what was that thing? It was like a chicken in every pot or something. Someone yeah. was promising. And that was really, I mean, really, ideally, you're not supposed to have access to chicken every day. Chicken's not supposed to be cheap, you know. It's sure. like, And I think that's, we've just grown accustomed to that. And it's sort of this, this plastification of... Um, commerce really and Agreed. just just consumer goods in general and I think um, I mean it's good to see it come out I'm just hoping that it's not cyclical where um, everything's going to kind of go back in that direction again and I worry about that with you know obviously with with craft beer and craft spirits and anything craft I worry that the pendulum's going to swing the other way and people just aren't going to care and they're going to go back I, maybe, but you know, I again, I think it, it's going to be harder to do it with beer. Um, I can't speak to spirits in the same way, but I think we also have to temper our expectations of what it's going to be. Uh, you know, Bud Light is still the best-selling beer in America, and uh, Coors Light is number two, and mm. Miller Light's number three, and Budweiser's number four. Um, these guys make a ton of beer, and yeah. it's uh, you know, as far as beer-flavored beer goes, or a generic sort of one-size-fits-all American lager, or American light lager. Um, I don't think that's going away anytime no, soon. Probably and, not. And and the thought that the craft beer producers uh, can can take that over, well, it, 
maybe, maybe. Um, but I think we have to have more reasonable expectations for it. Like, there's brewers can pull out, and I can just talk about beer here, but brewers can have a perfectly great existence where they can pay themselves well, uh, uh, they can pay um, uh, their employees living wages and be a part of a community, an anchor in a community. Uh, and it doesn't have to be multi-state. It can be just in one city or just in one state uh, or just in one area. Um, and, and that, I think, can have a larger impact because it does offer a sense of place. There's something really cool about going to a Milwaukee or Cleveland or, you know, going to uh, uh, rural Nevada or, you know, wherever you are, eastern Washington state, western Washington state, and having beer that you can only drink there. Mm -hmm. And that when you get home, you're not going to see it on your shelves. It, it, I think as a traveler, it makes it more exciting. And for uh, the folks who live in those areas, it's a sense of pride as well that you can bring something uh, to your beer-minded friends as a gift if you're going and traveling, saying like, hey, here's beer from where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it becomes a better sense of place. So I, I don't see it going away anytime soon. I do think that brewers have to be mindful of making good beer uh, and quality beer and defect-free beer mm -hmm. um, in order to survive. Um, but the days of opening up and saying, oh, we're going to be you know, a, a two million barrel brewery or we're going to be the next Sam Adams or the next Sierra Nevada or New Belgium or, or something like that is going to be much, much more difficult than mm. it was for these guys who started almost you know, 40 years ago now. Yeah, and um, I, I think the one thing that, that the only thing that really concerns me, and I'm not one of these, you know, bubble people who are like, craft beer is a bubble. I don't think it is. It's like somebody closes, it makes a headline, and then everyone thinks, oh, it's over. But, uh, but one thing that does concern me is there sometimes seems to be a bit of a hive mind, pack mentality kind of thing. Um, and I've said this, I've probably said this on other episodes of the podcast too, where everybody is making it's too many IPAs <laughs> too many. and I think it's getting away from what craft beer was craft beer was a protest against there being one global style of beer and now I feel like everybody it's a more flavorful style they're going to obviously it's a hoppier style of beer but I just feel like it's I'm not talking about like the good beer bars I'm talking about the bars that like to tout their whether it's their local beer selection or whatever. It's like they'll take the the flagship of every brewery within a hundred mile radius, and the flagship's always going to be an IPA, and they'll have twelve taps, ten or eleven of them are going to be some kind of an IPA. Yeah. So I feel like I worry about other styles just kind of getting squeezed out, or at least you know they come out in these little limited releases or seasonals or whatever like that. But I, I mean, I'm just I. I just feel like, and again, I'm biased because I never really liked IPAs to begin with, but <laughs> I just feel like, are we ever going to get IPA fatigue? Are we ever going to get any IPA fatigue? I hope. And no, I, 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 I'm going to disagree with you on a whole bunch. No, of different I expected things you here. to. So, um, so I, let's let's unpack that a little bit. So the first thing is, uh, IPA is the best-selling craft category according to our uh, our oh, IRI. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. Um, and it's I don't I don't think that there are too many. I wish that brewers were making more diverse styles, but mm -hmm. they are limited by production sizes. If you're a seven barrel brewery, and I talk to brewers all the time for for, for my job, and I say to them, you know, so what are you making right now? And it's like, well, IPA, because that's what pays the bills. That's yeah, what and gets, I get that. I the get geeks that. lined up on Saturday morning. That's what 
gets bars buying kegs. That's what gets people um, excited. They want to be making stouts and porters and saisons and uh, all manners of sours and everything else like that. But if you have seven barrels and you have uh, you know just a couple of bright tanks or a couple of fermenters uh, that can manage your system and you need to keep the lights on and you need to keep the money rolling in, you're going to keep making and turning out a new IPA every three weeks after fermentation time because that's they've sort of dug themselves into that hole right now. And the smart brewers are going to be the ones who are thinking about, all right, when we start to see a softening in the numbers, and they probably will at some point see a softening in the numbers, um, and not because of IPA fatigue, but because people have started paying attention to a new brewery. You know, I think about some of like the it breweries of the moment, the Treehouse, the Trilliums, the folks where, you know, people line up and they make great beer. But if they lose any of that sort of geek cachet mm. uh, in favor of the new brewery that everybody is lining up to how do those breweries how do the ones you know i just wrote about a brewery in uh in, in missouri called narrow gauge which falls into this as well of like what happens when a new it brewery opens up in st louis that does hazy ipa um you know, will these guys be ready to pivot? And they said, yeah, we're going to be ready to pivot because like, we're going to have to be in order to, to stay in business. Um, when you say though, that it's this one size fits all this generic thing, I don't see that as the same. I don't see IPA in that same booth. No, and I get IPA is a diverse umbrella. It's of a styles huge, it's a golf umbrella. Yeah. Of, yeah. No. And I get that. I get that. But I guess the thing is, and I don't blame the brewers for it. I blame, okay. I blame the, um, I blame the drinkers because um, I just feel like everybody sort of latches on and they just keep, um, more often than not, you know, IPA dominates the conversation. And when somebody gets into beer, it's like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to like IPAs. I'm supposed to like super hoppy beers. And my question is, is like, do they reach a point? And I reached this point too. And when I was a novice, I used to say, oh, I need my beers to hurt. You know, when I first got into craft beer, like, 15 years ago um i was like oh because i need to feel it so it was like i liked ipas at first but then i realized i really didn't and i learned and, and i was in the belgians for a while it's like oh the higher abv the better you know it's got to be strong and then eventually and and this wasn't really a conscious choice on my part it was i guess my taste evolved and i just wanted nuance i just wanted sure subtlety and i really i hope um I hope that I'm. I know I'm not unique in that. That's just how people's tastes evolve. So I, I think that um, I, I just wonder if there's any room left in the market for nuance, and will nuance ever really sell the way that IPA does? I think it will, and I think that nuance we're starting to see with the New England style of IPA uh, as well. It's big on aromatic, big on flavor, uh, low on bitterness. Uh, it doesn't have that harsh bitter bite. Um, yeah. You know, when you think about you know how far we've come in the U.S. in 40 years, where Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, when that first came out, was this revolutionary thing like Cascade hops, and like you can feel it. It's got a bite of hops in it. You know, people started using the word bite to describe yeah. uh, American beers, which was really cool. Um, and for so many brewers uh, who followed Sierra Nevada. Uh, into the marketplace, uh, brewers will point to that beer as their aha moment, as the thing that got them into it. Um, it was the benchmark of the style forever. Um, Sierra Nevada these days will not enter uh, a pale in that category at Great American Beer Festival every year because like they, they 
there's no way that they're going to win because palates have changed where we're used to more and more hops and we want more and more hop flavor. And now that the New England style is out there these days, and I, I don't like the way that it looks aesthetically. I think it's kind of disgusting, these you know hazy, milkshakey, uh, captures all light around it. Um, but if you close your eyes uh, while you're drinking it, 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 it actually has some really nice flavors to it. And the, uh, the aromatics of the hops can really shine through and a lot of the sweetness of the, uh, of, of the hops can really shine through as well. And, and I think that that is, it's, too, it, it, it's, it's, it's great on some levels because it's introducing whole new people to hops and they're not going to have the same sort of reaction that we had early on where you had to train yourself to like hops because you had to get past the bitterness. You had to stop thinking yeah. about it as bitterness, but you had to think of grapefruit and pine and you know peach or whatever else you were getting off of these things. You had to train your brain to think about that uh, to get past that bitterness. But now drinkers are actually like right off the bat. It's the first thing they're getting and so it's kind of exciting. To your point about nuance, though, I, I, I worry that people can't go backwards. So the folks who are 21 and, and, and up who are coming up and trying you know, Treehouse beers now or Narrow Gauge beers or a lot of these other great uh, producers of New England-style IPAs, they're not necessarily going to go and drink a Stone IPA or uh, you know, some of the stuff that's coming out of you – know, um, uh, port or even Sierra Nevada Pale uh, because it's just not to their tastes and it's a tougher thing to go backwards uh, these days and so we could lose our beer traditions uh, in that way of do, do every time we put out a sweeter beer or a more aromatic beer or something that um, uh, tastes less like what our notion of beer has been for a millennia um, do we start to change? Or is that just part of the natural progression anyway? And like, that's what we're supposed to be doing, you know? So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens within the next 10 years and the next 20 years. So, you know, will, you know, will there be a place for traditional West coast IPAs, mm. uh, in the way that we think about, you know, stone or, uh, uh, Russian river or you know, Drake's or any of these other folks who have been making them for so long, uh, will they still be making these beers? Because will there be a, a, a market for it or will it just be, you know, a niche category in this, you know, ever evolving IPA world? All right. So we're done dissecting the, um, American beer scene. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, back onto the the Jersey City thing a little bit. I want, um, and it doesn't have to just be Jersey City, but I want like your top five recommendations of places to drink here and maybe other parts of New Jersey. Okay. Or you know, I don't 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 go into New York because New York is its own thing. And yeah, because you have guests from that side of the river, I'm sure. Anyway. Yeah, um, or I will anyway. So come to Jersey City, go to Barcade, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's a cool bar uh, that's just up the street from there called Pet Shop, which uh, does some uh, really cool uh, cocktails, and they have a pretty great wine selection as well. Is that in the space of the old Pet Shop that yeah. was on? Oh, yep. that's gone? Yeah. The fish place? Yep. Oh. Yeah. And um, uh, there's a great bar called uh, Pint. Uh, which uh, is uh, on on Wayne and Grove, uh, which not only has a great beer selection, but uh, it also does a lot of like kind of crazy, wacky, uh, fruit forward birthday cake infused vodka flavored cocktails and things like that. Are they still doing um, their trivia night there? They're still doing trivia mm. night, which is a great trivia night. Uh, but they serve a lot of uh, fishbowl sized cocktails and um, you know, a lot, a lot of sugar. 
pretty bad hangover the next day, mm-hmm. but it's always a, a, a good time when you go there. Um, you know, there's uh, there's there's a, a, a cool place also on Newark Avenue, which is our, our main pedestrian thoroughfare these days. They've shut it down to vehicular traffic. You can, you can walk through now, uh, but it's called South House, and they do a lot oh, of Oh, yeah, you, I went there with you once. Yeah, yeah whiskey-inspired yeah. cocktails. Um, uh, you know, they also just have a great straight whiskey uh, selection as well. That was one of the places that opened right after I moved. I oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 definitely a, a good place uh, to go. Um, there's a newer place that's opened up uh, that's called Atlas, which only serves Jersey beer. So oh. uh, their entire beer list is all Jersey inspired, which is actually pretty cool. Um, so I, I awesome. Yeah, I I, I recommend uh, people go there uh, as well. And you know, certainly we have our brewery, uh, Departed Souls, mm. which is open on the weekends, and uh, it's cool to go in and 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 see the actual uh brewing process and meet the guys behind it and they're they're using some fun ingredients in their beer including a coffee stout that is done with uh, a local coffee roaster as well so mod cup uh which is which is a lot of fun are there any plans to get another brewery in town Uh, oh hang on uh we have a dog issue was that five? Uh, five, sure, is an ar- five is an arbitrary number. Usually I ask three, but since it's Jersey City, I figured there'd be more places. Also, when you're not drinking beer, where do you like to drink? Oh, I, I don't. What do you like to drink when you're not drinking? Um, I, I drink a lot. I, I don't drink a lot at home, but uh, you know, I'll make cocktails here. I'll mm-hmm. do gin and tonics on the stoop. Uh, in the in the in the summer, uh, which is always which is always pretty nice. Gin and tonic on a stoop. That sounds like one of like those bucket list drinking experiences. Well, anytime uh, you want to do it, just uh, just come on back and let me know. But um, you know, there's uh, you know, I don't get out nearly as much. Well, uh, you've, as you've I, got as, a child. Yeah, yeah I mean, between the kid and the dog and the the writing of the books and the magazine and, and, and everything else as well. But, um, uh, no, you know, there, there, there are some cool cocktail bars, uh, that have popped up doll boy, uh, which is down here, uh, on, uh, just off of Grove street as well. They're doing some really fun, inventive, you know, a lot of house-made bitters that are infused with all manners of fun things. And it's one of those bars where I trust the bartenders enough where I can go in and, uh, say, um, you know, I'm in the mood for for something. You know, it's a little smoky, a little strong. And they're like, perfect. I'll I'll mix up something for you. And we have another bar restaurant that just opened up not too long ago called Frankie, uh, which is this uh, Australian inspired place that uh, is serving a bunch of natural wines, which is something that I've been kind of having some fun with tasting through recently. There's you know some Britannomyces that show up in some of these, which uh, has been. I guess not not loved by uh, winemakers and drinkers for uh, for for a while, but can actually bring off some some really fun and interesting flavors. And certainly, as a beer drinker, where Britannomyces has been embraced for so long, uh, it's been fun to to try some of these wines and see what it does in that space. So, uh, those, those places are probably where I'm going. There's that whiskey place too up on Newark Ave. Is that still there? There was where Ox used to be, or Box, whatever it was. Oh, I haven't been in there. Oh, you haven't. I was I, I I'm drawing a blank on the name. I went there. Once. Archer. Archer, yes, yes. I don't know how I can forget that. Danger zone. Danger zone. No, um, yeah, I went there once, probably a year and a half ago or so. Okay. And um, I liked it. You know, it's it's cool that that you had that. I was bummed that you know I had already moved when that place came to town. But um, and also well, South House I mean, it's, too. It's, South it's House is a good. Tell you now that you've been gone for 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 a while. Um, uh. When we found out that you guys put your apartment on the market, the whole city got together and said, all right, let's really kick up our drinking and culinary scene. I feel like that happened, yeah. um, And we all took a vote. It was unanimous. And then um, as soon as you moved out, construction started. 
like as your moving truck was coming in or going out, uh, the construction uh, crews were coming in. So uh, I, it's been great. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're um, welcome. And and also, I love I, that I'm playing into your paranoia I, right I now. I finally got over. There's it. some Actually, level. There's some level of you that kind of believes what I just said. I, I know there is bullshit. some level. And honestly, it took me almost two years probably. Uh, I finally gotten over that feeling of every time I come back here because I'm here quite a bit. You know, yeah. I'm here. I'm in New York every month, and I'm usually in Jersey City the same amount, and um, and it's like sometimes two or three times a month. I've gotten past the point where I walk down Newark Ave, and I'm like, oh, why did this place have to open after we moved? Like, oh, why did we have to move? I've kind of, I'm over that now. Well, I, I think that's what I was saying earlier, though, is that it's hard to go to a place now, at least a, 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 a major city or uh, a robust city. Um, it's hard to go to these places these days and not have a diverse scene you know so um because i think that that's what people are accustomed to when it comes to um uh when it comes to to urban living these days and city living where yeah. you know you're gonna have your uh you know your vietnamese place and your indian place you know both uh you know north and south and you're gonna have um uh you know places that uh care about their cocktail program or their wine lists in ways that are um, not necessarily pretentious, but just sort of robust, and you know, there's there's a market for it uh, yeah. these days. So I think you're hard pressed to find a city that doesn't have um, at least a, a burgeoning scene, if not a, a well established one. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, yeah. you get around a lot. <laughs> I get around. Yes. You get around a lot. For let's talk about some other places outside of Jersey City. You like okay. to go? Any? If you you have your top three or top five drinking establishments in other parts of the country, maybe one from each time zone, continental time zone. Sure. You can talk about Hawaii too if you want, but yeah, obviously. But um, so or Alaska for I'm that matter. I'm gonna pick two in the central time zone. Uh, one is obviously, and I'm sure you've talked about it if you're six episodes deep at this point, uh, Patty Long's in Chicago. Oh, I haven't actually, honestly, I haven't, and I actually want to get them on the show at some point. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, I think that's a, that's a, it's a great bar. It's, uh, it's, it's beer focused. They have, a you know, some fun sort of generic cocktails, but, uh, uh, bacon is also their other, mm. uh, their focus in house, which is, which is a lot of fun to go and, uh, eat well and drink well every time that you're there. Um. In Milwaukee. Oh wait, let's yeah. let's stop for a moment, okay. and I want before you get to Milwaukee, I need you to do the cliff notes on the Randy story and Patty Long's. Oh, I don't know if I've ever actually told this on. Um, oh, good. So I'm uh, getting on, the exclusive here. All right. So uh, Patty Long's does this thing called the Bacon Bomb Challenge, and it is essentially, if, if memory serves, if you can eat a five pound bacon-wrapped sausage meatloaf and a pound of fries in an hour, uh, they'll write your name on a chalkboard uh, as you have completed the Bacon Bomb Challenge. And so I was in there on a, on a snowy night, gosh, maybe about five years or so ago now, and uh, uh, it was a snowy night, and I was in there with three of my cousins who all live in Chicago, and we're hanging out at a, at a high-top table on the bar. There was, sitting at the bar itself, there were two regulars uh, who were there, um, just sort of nursing beers, and then at another table, uh, close to the dining room, uh, was a what was clearly a first date that mm -hmm. was happening. And so we were in there, we were all having a good time, and it was snowing pretty hard outside, so we were calling it a night, everybody was taking it kind of easy, and I just settled up our check, 
and we were getting ready to go. Uh, the regulars had 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 cleared out, and uh, the the date was still kind of going strong. And all of a sudden, the doors bang open, and a guy comes walking through the door, shaking snow off of his shoulders, and he says, "I am here for the bacon bomb challenge." And everybody just kind of like looked up a little bit and then looked back down like, all right. Like, you know, so I asked the, the bartender, like, so what's this all about? And she explained what the bacon bomb challenge was. So I said to my, my cousins, I go, I have an hour to kill. Uh, I'm going to stay and watch this and you are welcome to as well. And so they said, sure, that'd be great. And so uh, the rule was... Uh, we, we were going to leave as soon as the challenge was over, no matter what, because the, we weren't sure if the L was going to keep operating. Like it was, it was a pretty bad snowstorm. And so I said, all right, so every time we order a beer, like we pay as we go, like no opening up a tab, like you just pay as you go at this point. And the rule of thumb has to be if he somehow doesn't finish this challenge, this guy whose name we found out later on to be Randy Santiel, um, uh, I said, it, it, I don't care if you've just ordered a beer, the rule of thumb has to be if he doesn't finish, uh, if he he doesn't finish the challenge uh when he calls it we put down our beers even if we've just ordered them and we walk out to show uh, our disappointment uh in this and so all of my cousins agreed so we start drinking i think i was drinking alpha king from uh from from three floyds and uh and randy starts randy dives in and he uh he has his camcorder set up he's he's recording this for for posterity purposes and i'm sure for the internet and uh he starts off strong and he's he's alternating between bites and he's uh uh asking for for coca-cola uh to to wash things down with and then he switches to water because he realizes that the carbonation is a little bit heavy on these things and he's 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 working on it he's working on it hard and we're, we get about 35 or so minutes in and we're watching him my cousins and i are, are, are talking having a having a, a, a good time uh, and randy starts jumping up and down now uh so he'd take a bite and then he'd take a couple of bites uh, to sort of settle down the, uh, the the food in his stomach, to tamp it down, if you will, to make more room for the five pounds of meat and the and the single pound of fries. And so Paddy Long's is this interesting place. It's it's worth noting that it's uh, sort of a railroad style bar, one basically main room split up into two parts. First front uh, by the front door is the bar area with these high tops, and the second part is uh, a more dining room thing with with low tops. Randy is sitting at a table in the restaurant. Uh, on the low top uh the first date is still happening inexplicably almost next to him at a high top um and at the back of the uh of, of the place there's a door for the kitchen and then there's a corridor uh with uh an atm uh, at the back of it and to the left is the men's room and to the right is uh, is, is the women's room and so um uh, and again, it's just me and my cousins, the bartender, a few staff, and this first date happening. And Randy is now jumping up and down. He's talking to the camera. He's psyching himself up. He's trying to he's trying to push it forward and trying to make it happen a little bit more. Um, and uh, and then he stops. And everybody looks at Randy. And we're like, Oh no, is this it? Is this it? Nope. He's good. He's good. He swallows it back down. We thought he was going to boot. But he swallows it back down. And, uh, and he goes back at it. He attacks it anew. I order another beer. Randy, uh, suddenly, his eyes go wide. And he just makes it to the ATM before spraying it with an obscene amount of meat and french fries. And we put our beers down. We walk out into the cold. That's the story of Randy Santille and the, uh, and, and the bacon bomb challenge. Um, I still feel very badly for the staff 
I hope Randy helped them out with a mop and a rag uh, cleaning up uh, uh, the vomit he off of that He probably just ATM. made a beeline for the door. Um, <laughs> he did apparently come back a while later and complete the challenge. Oh, yeah, I think I told you that because yeah. I, I was having a conversation with um, the manager there. Patrick Burger's the owner. It was, yeah. it was either Patrick or it was Sam, who's the manager, who actually is like the uh, marketing director for Malort. Yep. And, you know... Patty Long's is kind of the unofficial cat, the unofficial headquarters of Malort in Chicago, but um, but one of them, I was talking to one of them, and I, I brought up Randy Santiel, and um, they said, oh yeah, he came back and he actually did it. I'm like, oh, well that's that's good for him. I'm more curious to see what happened to the couple on the first date. I really like to think they got married, and and, and, and that was part, part of their toast. toast. Yeah, oh, yeah. that have been part of the toast, you um, know, because yeah, no, Randy, Randy's up on uh, on the on the internet and. Uh, um, uh, I think he kind of gets annoyed at me. I've been, I've told this story <laughs> several times, um, and uh, I can't wait to I admire him uh, for for doing what he does. Um, but I've had people tweet at him uh, while I've been telling this story, and you know, it's uh, uh, I, I I hope he's good natured about it. It was it was a fun, it's a fun cocktail story for for me and my cousins to tell. Um, uh, I'm sure it's a low point for him, but I am happy that he went back and 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 did it. And you know, we all have. Uh, you know, what's what's the old saying? Uh, uh, May your failures be private, um, yeah. as, as it were, and your successes public. Well, uh, he's uh, uh, he's redeemed himself. Well, you you kind of do yeah. in the in the world of competitive eating. You kind of do have to sort of puke yourself to victory. Yeah. Um, all right, I know we're running long here, right. so I will say in right, Milwaukee, yeah. uh, everybody should go to the Lakefront Brewery on a oh, Friday night for their fish fry. Uh, it's a Midwestern tradition in Lakefront. Nobody does it better. Uh, than them. It's a polka band and it's a great fish fry and uh, it's just a... Uh, and Laverne uh, and, and Shirley. The, yeah, and the, and the beer is great and they, they do the old Laverne and Shirley at the, at the beginning. Um, you know, Mountain Time, uh, I'm a big fan in downtown Denver, obviously Falling Rock, which is one of the, yeah. the grand old beer bars. But just up the street from them is a new lager brewery that's called um, Beer Stott that um, does uh, really traditional lagers um, and they, their Pilsner, their slow pour Pils is this really uncompromising, uh, old world style, uh, you know, just really wonderful Pilsner that you can just sit and drink all day. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, trying to think of where, I mean, there's so many options out on the West coast, uh, yeah. that you can go to, um, you know, in Seattle, I still love going to, uh, Pike downtown pike oh, it's yeah. got a, a brewery museum on the inside of it and charles and roseanne finkel have been running that brewery forever and uh, they are just such great people and the beer is really excellent and it's right down on pike place market and it's just a uh, it's a fun thing to walk through and see all of the brewery that's up on the walls from you know old cans and and and, and matchbooks to uh, articles and steins and and just all manners of things that show the history of of, of beer, not just in the U.S. but uh, but across the world, and uh, it's 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 a well curated museum mm-hmm. uh, inside a in, inside a brewery. And then, um, gosh, I, there's this bar in Homer, Alaska, that I'm a huge fan of. It's right on the end of the wharf. And hold on a second. Where was Homer in relation to? So like Homer Anchorage? is southern. It's south of Anchorage. Okay. Um, I'm just looking this up as we're as we're talking right now because I've only been there once. But so Homer is at the very bottom of the uh, of the state, as you can see. Okay. Um, or or I guess bottom of that part of the state, and then down on the. 
the Salty Dog Saloon, D A W G, mm. and it's one of these places where everybody puts <coughs> up uh, um, dollar bills on the wall and they sign it uh, oh, from where they're oh. from and they carve their name into the tables. And the jukebox is great and the uh, the staff is surly as all get out. And it is uh, it's one of these places where it's uh, uh, if you ever have the chance to be in Homer, Alaska, and you get there, uh, you should go and drink some Alaskan beer. And, and have some fun with it. No, so. I want to go to Alaska. Yeah, I always as, want to go to Alaska. As, I haven't been, but... As you should. Um, all right, so that's that's cool. And um, did you want to do Hawaii at all? or? Uh, I've only been to Hawaii once, and uh, I spent my time in Maui uh, poolside drinking Maui Brewing Company's Bikini Bond, oh, which of course, I yeah. encourage everybody to do. All right, and now uh, give me three places outside of the country where you've had some really remarkable drinking experiences. Oh, really remarkable drinking experiences. Or memorable. Remarkable or memorable. They could be bad experiences and you just remember them. Um, so, you know, obviously drinking gin and tonics uh, pretty much anywhere in Spain is, mm. is something that everybody uh, should do. And just I know that, that you've just week. done that, yeah. that recently. Um, you know, going to Cantillon or Fantôme uh, or any of the traditional Belgian breweries uh, and drinking uh, real goose and lambic um, uh, is definitely something that that uh, that folks should do. And um, you know, you do it after the after the kids go to bed, uh, as it were. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, sorry, Hannah is uh, she's All getting right. antsy at this point now. Okay, we're almost done. And then, uh, you know, certainly. Gosh, there's just so many things that I've done uh, in, in, in recent years. Um, I had a fun time uh, drinking on Santorini uh, in, in Greece uh, oh, yeah. a couple years ago. There's there's a brewery on the island that's doing some, some, some decent stuff, uh, and then there's um, a winery uh, on the island as well. And I think that if you're lucky enough to stay in a hotel or, or an apartment that is uh, overlooking the, the, the water there and you're... Um, uh, bringing stuff back in and just having you know some little homemade tapas or some homemade uh, snacks and uh, you know olives and and whatnot. Uh, being able to drink local, I think, is uh, is is a fun thing on your own term, not necessarily out at a bar. So, um, yeah. All right, we're about ready to wrap things up. Let's uh, first of all tell me tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and social media and all those other wonderful things. I'm on johnhall.com. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L. And so I'm also on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And on the Instagram occasionally at Mr. John Hall uh, because somebody else took John Hall before me. It wasn't your dad, was it? No, it was not my dad. <laughs> um, and, and I, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Drinkable Globe, on Twitter at Jeff Cialetti. And uh, always remember, the world is out there. Drink it up. The drink